Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today we're joined by Lucy Fraser, who is widely seen as one of the future stars of the Conservative Party. She is currently holding one of the best jobs in government, the job of Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport. Three areas that we are massively passionate about on this podcast and the growth in jobs that we are seeing right across the creative sectors. We talked to Lucy in depth about that today, but we also talked to her about her role as part of the King's Council before entering politics. It's a great episode, and I really hope you enjoy it. I'm really proud that Amazon are backing us on this episode of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. This week, it was revealed that they have 4.2 billion invested in the UK creative industries. And that has supported more than 16,000 jobs across publishing, film, TV production, audio, books, fashion and games. Those jobs are spread right across the UK, with over half of them coming outside of London and the South East. Amazon has doubled its investment in the creative sectors across the UK in the last four years alone, with a record number of prime video originals filmed in the UK and new studios and facilities for Amazon Music, Audible and Prime Video, including the new production facilities at Shepparton Studio. Amazon is working to build the pipeline of creative talent, funding 100 more creative industry apprenticeships and announcing the second phase of Prime Video Pathway, an initiative designed to open up access to jobs in TV and film, which will support 250 additional trainees over the coming years. To find out more about Amazon's contribution to the UK economy, check out aboutamazon.co.uk. Lucy, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you. Great to be here. So tell us, you're renowned for having the best job in government, Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport. What does that involve? Well, it is absolutely the best job. Um, And I feel really, really lucky because I represent a fantastic sector. Well, sectors, so the creative industries. Mm -hmm. So they are growing at faster than the rate of the rest of the economy, one and a half times rate of the rest of the economy. So it's my job to help support them. But also football, obviously, he mm-hmm. uh, key sport and all all the sports uh, I, I represent. Um, also, we're we're doing things on gambling too. But part of my job that I love is we also have some responsibility for youth, mm. um, and I want to bring forward a, a really good program on youth too. And so this week, you announced that you were going to try and get another million jobs in the creative sector by twenty thirty. That's a pretty sort of staggering rate of job creation that these guys are doing what do you see as jobs of the future um so i think the jobs of the future there's going to be traditional jobs and uh new jobs that don't yet exist and so in in the industries i represent so you mentioned the Mm. creative industries which is a really important sector you mentioned you know we want to grow uh, the number of jobs we also want to grow the creative sector in terms of the impact on the economy, really, really important. Um, and there are, there are traditional jobs in that. So all the things that you would think about, whether that's being an actor or whether that's being a producer, a director, someone who's making video games. But there are so many jobs that are um, ordinary jobs, but within that sector. So you could be a lawyer mm-hmm. um, on a film set. Uh, I, I, um, this week I went to Pinewood. Um, and they're obviously building the set. So what I saw was construction workers doing the most phenomenal, intricate job of, you know, making the set. Um, and there's modeling. So if you're really, really artistic, you can do, 
they, before they build the set, they create these fabulous models. Um, you could be a graphic designer. So, and there's jobs that don't yet exist. So, yeah. for example, in gaming, um, I'm, I met someone who's putting together a game, and obviously there's AI involved as well. And, and these people are uh, creating R&D um, for things that we just don't know exist yet. So there will be jobs um, to be determined. Um, what's the job you've been most surprised by that you've come across? Oh, there's, there's so many jobs um, and it's difficult to pick one in particular. You know, I mentioned the modeling, which was, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Um, but, but there's just, there's just a range of jobs. Um, I, I, I don't know whether I, I don't know, it's, I'm struggling because I don't know whether surprised is, is the right word. What I suppose I'm surprised by is the variety of jobs. Mm. And there was one study that said um, there were over 590 jobs in the creative industries. So I suppose it's the number of different types of jobs that you can have because you can do anything at all. Where are we shortest in terms of when it comes to skills? So what I find, and I must say, I don't just find this as being the Secretary of State for DCMS. I find this as a constituency Mm. MP, you know, whatever sector I go to, um, I think there is people feel that they're struggling to get qualified uh, workers within their industry. So I know the creative industries are finding this really difficult, really challenging. And as a government, we absolutely want to help them. So when you mentioned the creative uh, vision that we we, we published yesterday, um, one of the things that we want to do is to highlight the jobs in the industry and and, uh, tell people about them. So I'd love your listeners to think about working in the creative industries and we want to empower them from their first day of school to their last day of work just telling people what's available and giving them necessary training so we want to we want to do a program in primary schools just to tell people what sort of jobs are available you know those 590 jobs that they could do we also want to build up their technical skills if they they want to take uh, technical education as a route a t level rather than a levels we're going to build up apprenticeships but also, if you're thinking about your second job or your third job, uh, we're going to build up boot camps in the creative industries as well. And how do you think AI is going to play a role in it? Prime Minister was talking earlier in the week about it sort of being a co-pilot for jobs, which is the sort of optimistic end of things. We've also seen big announcements of job losses and so on due to AI. Where do you sit on that spectrum? So I think uh, jobs will still exist, but they will change. So AI in so many sectors. Uh, will mean that there's many things that are going on that we don't need people to do the jobs for. But I think we will need more people to do different types of jobs. And I think that's, that's the exciting challenge and fear for many people in the workplace. So should I, should I give you an example? Please, yeah. So, so I was in, uh, Horsham last week, um, at a really fantastic, uh, games company. And I was talking to, um, a woman there, um, who was a product designer for the games. And uh, she said, a lot of her work is taken over by AI. And I asked her sort of the mm. question that you asked, you know, are you worried about that for your job in the future? You know, thinking that the AI could just, you know, create, she was doing animation and mm. creation of characters. Um, and what she said to me was, actually, AI is doing the boring bits of the jobs. Uh, and it enables her to do the more interesting bit that AI can't yet do. So I just think there's going to be a shift and we need to take advantage of the shift. Fair enough. Have you used chat GPT? Uh, uh, no. 
<laughs> sure. Um, what, what, what does culture mean to you? Because it means different things to many different people. Culture means uh, everything, actually. So there's the cultural heritage that we have in places where we live. So the buildings that we live amongst and between. Um, it's the theatres we go to and the music halls that we visit, um, the musicians that we listen to. Um, I think I found a really interesting stat when I first came into this department. That when people are asked, you know, what do they value about the area that they live in and what's important to them? The thing that they said was the third most important to them was their cultural heritage. Um, and I was quite surprised by that um, because I, I, I think it's really interesting that people really value uh, culture in the area that they live. And what would be the best examples that people might not necessarily think of when they think of culture? Well, I think they would think about all the things that I've talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, the questions that I get asked about culture are often about uh, museums, because I think that's what people traditionally yeah. think about culture. I suppose, I suppose an interesting way of looking at culture is what does it do for us internationally mm. um, as a country? I think we have a huge amount of soft power because of the export of, of so many things that are indeed cultural. So if you think about the BBC, if you think about people like Ed Sheeran, who are now on the world stage, I don't think people, you ask me what's unusual, I don't think people would automatically think about our cultural exports, uh, but I think that's a really important part of my job and uh, the cultural industries. Um, and you talk about exports, one of the most kind of renowned exports is the Premier League and so on. What do you see as the future of jobs in sport? So I think it's pretty similar to the creative industries question yeah. that you asked me. There's always going to be the traditional jobs that you would think about uh, if you were thinking about going into sport. We're always going to need people on the pitch playing football and rugby yep. and rowing uh, and all the, all the sports that you would think about. Um, but I think, you know, you mentioned AI. I think as technology develops, there's going to be a huge range of other jobs as well. So if you think, for example, of VAR and, yeah. and the development of that, obviously, is the people creating the VAR, which is, which is in use in our, in our games. Um, and there's really interesting developments as well um, at VR. So if you, go to, <laughs> if you go to a match now, you know, you can interact with the game. You know, you can research things on players who are playing live, you know, assess statistics you know live in your match so i think there's going to be a, a whole load of technical jobs as well in what is a traditional supporting environment and you know apple have announced recently their launch of their new vr headsets um a have you tried vr and what was your impressions if you did um so i've been to presentations where i've seen gaming uh, virtual reality uh, sets and i find them absolutely phenomenal in fact, I met someone this week because this week was Tech Week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I met uh, uh, someone who runs a company who is uh, in, another, in another country providing these virtual headsets in order to teach students. And he said that the returns that they've got on that in terms of educational output is phenomenal. 
I'm slightly worried about all this because I do think social interaction is really important. Yeah. I think there's nothing that replaces, you know, the interaction that we have as we're sitting together. Um, but I do think that there's some amazing uses and, you know, as we talk about jobs, you know, some fantastic jobs out there for people in the future. Um, when you were appointed to the Privy Council, I heard a story that you, it was done via Zoom. Yes, unfortunately it was. So that's what I know. So you had a Zoom with the Queen. I had a sure. Zoom with the Queen. I'll tell you why I was really disappointed about that. So I love going into schools in my constituency. It's one of the things I love the most. And uh, whenever I go into schools, you always get the most uh, wide-ranging questions. You know, often, often they will say something that you know their parents or their teachers have asked you. Yeah. Uh, like, um, why are you cutting the funding on X? Um, but uh, you get a complete other end of the spectrum as well. Like, what's your favorite color? Or do you have a cat? <laughs> but the one question that comes up the whole time is, have you met the Queen? And I had never met the Queen. And so obviously it's a huge honor to be appointed to the Privy Council. Um, but I was really excited about meeting the Queen as well. And unfortunately, I never got that opportunity. Okay. But not many people have Zoomed with us. So that is no, no, it was, a, it was a very interesting experience. Not quite the same because I have had the pleasure in this role of meeting the king. And I yeah. do think that that sort of, you, you just, as I was just saying, you just can't replace that one-to-one experience. And tell us, because your background before politics was Queen's Council, now King's Council. What, what is, like, um, um, explain to sort of listeners what, what that entails, because there's lots of, councils that were chucking around in this kind of conversation but what is a kc so kc or qc a silk um is just i suppose um the the most senior level of barrister so you um you have to qualify to be a lawyer um and then you might choose to be a barrister or a solicitor and you have to take further exams to do that and then you have a training period on top of that and then you become a fully fledged practicing barrister so obviously i did that and then after you've practiced for certainly it would be highly unusual um to do it before you were 15 years in practice mm. so when you're you know from 15 years onwards you could start thinking about uh, whether you want to go to the next stage which is was a queen's council now king's council and it, it's uh, i suppose it's just a further level of seniority some weird things about it, like uh, you're allowed to sit on the bench in front in court where the junior barristers sit. Uh, but it's just it's just the next stage of your career. Is law what you always wanted to do when you were first setting out? Um, I was pretty. I was very lucky. I had an amazing role model. My grandma, uh, she was a barrister, um, which was quite surprising well, yeah. uh, then. So she was actually the first female barrister in Leicester. Um, and I, she was like a really formidable woman and quite inspirational in so many ways. And so about the age of seven, um, I, I thought I wanted to be a barrister, but I, I learned recently, um, from her chambers actually, that she obviously found it very difficult to get pupillage. She have to be a pupil, you have to do this training mm-hmm. period. Uh, and nobody wanted to have a female pupil, um, because why would you? Because yeah. it was hugely uncommon. And she, have, you, she had to pick up her work. So eventually someone agreed, uh, but she had to pick up her work when he was not at work. So she had to come into chambers at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day to pick up her work 
in order to do her pupillage. But she was hugely inspirational, and I think that's why I wanted to become a barrister. Um, did you seek her advice on going into politics, and when was that sort of change? Unfortunately not, because um, she died when I was 18. Okay. Um, I was actually was actually doing a mini pupillage the week she died, um, which was, yeah. Um, so, so I didn't ever discuss politics with her and she wasn't political at all. She had huge number of, I think, very important values, which I share and have really stayed with me. But what's really interesting is I met one of my cousins recently and she said to me that she had actually thought about politics and she was always very interested in politicians and she very kindly said she would have been very proud of me um so she didn't inspire me to become a politician but i certainly took her values and when was what was the moment that you sort of thought i'm gonna throw my hat into the ring because it's quite a big big step to make i mean when i spoke to your colleagues ahead of this interview and so on the word that came up again and again was she's she's very private she's very reserved and so on and you 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 put yourself forward for public office it's a big it's a big step it is a big step and i thought long and hard about it for that reason because i am i think quite a private person compared to some politicians well yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i think so when i i always wanted to be a barrister um and i was fairly certain that's what i was going to do but when i was quite young when i was leaving university I did have this desire to change the world, you know, to make a difference. And I thought before I embark on this legal career, I just want to see whether there is something that I could do that isn't going to the bar where I could make a significant difference. And I took a year out and, uh, and I ex- and went to work for three inst- institutions that I thought were key instigation, instigators of change. So I worked for the European Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked for, I uh, did a, a, an internship at the UN, uh, and I went to work for the Ministry of Justice, uh, Ministry of Justice in Israel. And I must say, I was quite disappointed because I realised that when you're 21, you can't really make any change. You're sort of at the bottom rung, and it's really, really, really difficult. So I thought I will go to the bar because that's what I've always wanted to do. But one side become fairly senior and I had my children um I did start to think again about how do you make a difference I never really lost that desire to make a change and I looked at lots of different ways of doing it so I applied to um a whole series of jobs I didn't get like going to work for a charity I applied to be a commissioner for the social mobility commission which I got to the interview stage at which you're now in charge of. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, and I, I really don't know how I got to that stage because I had no, no skills for the job at all. Um, and just one day I thought, do you know what? The biggest way that you can make a change is by being in politics and notwithstanding the, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect job. You yeah. mentioned some of the things, you know, it's very difficult to um, just be a private person. Um, Notwithstanding all that, I thought this is this is what I should do. And what's the one thing that you would really like to change? What's what is that? So I'm really so I mentioned my grandma, mm. um, and she 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 had lots of very very valuable bits of advice. But the one thing that really 
stuck with me is she used to always have this quote from Robert Browning. Um, it was, uh, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's the heaven for? It really meant, you know, aim really high and just try. And when you fail, because you will fail, because you've tried, you've aimed higher than was possible for you, just be proud of yourself for having tried. So don't, she was basically saying, don't fear failure. And I think that has driven me to do a whole host of things that, um, were probably impossible. So becoming an MP was pretty mm. impossible and I didn't have a wild amount of experience applying to be a commissioner on the social mobility commission. Uh, you know, it was a foolish thing to do in, in one sense. And what I really want to do for young people, well, for everybody is to make them realize through government, through how we can support government is to make them realize that and give them support and opportunity. So everybody can realize their potential because I think there is potential in everybody. Everyone has different potential. So some people are going to be fantastic actors and some people are going to be, um, you know, amazing teachers and some people might not go into the workplace at all and they might be amazing mothers and do a whole range of other things. But everyone has something. And I think if you can give people support to enable them to get there, help them on the way and show them that you believe in them and they should believe in themselves. Um, that's what I'd like to try and do in this role. Do you think we're better or worse at recognising people's potential in the modern age? I think that, um, I think we don't spend enough time thinking about it. So I think we're all very busy in our own lives and I think we're becoming quite insular as individuals and every, you know, we're, everyone's on their phone. Um, sort of focusing on, you know, the individual. And I think that it's really important that we uh, work in communities, that we collaborate, um, you know, intergovernmentally, that we, and we value people and do more to support them. What, or how rather, do we increase that risk appetite to take your grandma's favourite quote? How do we get that across the UK? Because we need more of it, right? Prime Minister have been pretty open about it. We need people to be bolder. We need people to be building bigger businesses. How do we do that? So I think, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to, one of the things I'm going to work on is a youth strategy. So um, you'll hear, hear more about that. I think it's, it's a variety of, of things. Um, I think it's about being, uh, being ambitious and speaking positively. I think often in the UK, we do ourselves down. We don't talk mm. ourselves up. Uh, we're very good about that and doing that as a nation. I think I'm very proud to be British. I'm very proud of, you know, Britain standing in the, in the world. Um, I mean, I'm responsible for the creative industries yeah. and I think we should be saying how fabulous they are on the world stage. Um, and I think, you know, we are supporting them to do so much and we should continue to talk about their world-class excellence. What makes you proudest to be British? Um, I think we're a fantastic country. Um, I think we, uh, I, I, I think for me is partly about our values, um, mm -hmm. as British people. I love our humor. So I did when, when I did all this, uh, you know, going to work abroad, I did, I did miss uh, the British humour uh, quite a lot. And at one stage I thought about living abroad, but I couldn't 
live abroad because I love British people. I love our sarcasm and I love our humor. But I think we are just so world class uh, and we undersell ourselves quite a lot. Who's your favorite comedian? Oh, golly. Um, oh, I, I do. Can I just tell you? I, I, so I love comedy. Um, and it's the one. So unfortunately, I had a big birthday recently. Right. And uh, I wanted to do a few things that I didn't think that I did enough, mainly because I don't have very much spare time. So one of the things that I did is I went to the comedy store oh. um, with some friends and none of us had been since we were like 20. <laughs> and uh, it was a fantastic evening. I, I did love, so I love improvisation. I love those things they do there. I know Paul Merton is rather yeah. fabulous, but I do like all different types of comedy. Um, who, who else was on the show? I can't remember exactly uh, who was doing it, but there were, it was, it was just really excellent. Um, yeah, it, uh, British comedy is amazing. It's a true global export. Um, where, what sort of the, one of the other big parts of the brief is uh, media, and you know, media is incredibly important for politicians in in lots of different ways. What does your kind of media diet consist of? In terms of what do you kind of consume? In terms, of, you talk about being on your phone earlier and and so on. Like there is, there's a lot of media. There's a lot of content created now. What what sort of makes up what you're informing yourself with? Uh, well, I'm, um, in my brief, I am largely informed by the enormous box that I get yeah. every night that I have to go through that takes hours and hours and hours. Um, I do uh, follow Twitter. I do get that Politico email every yeah. morning that fully, um, fully informs me. One of the things I love about the weekend is reading the Sunday Times. Yeah. Um, and I particularly like reading Tim Shipman, who seems to know more about what's happening in Parliament than I know. Uh, yes, that is, uh, that's very true. And what other sort of sources, like what else do you like to read to relax? So I, I have for many years been a member of a book club, oh, okay. which is a fabulous group of women. Um, and we've read some great books that I wouldn't have otherwise read. Um, and I'd probably say Sense of an Ending was my best book because it's a book uh it's a book about uh everyone perceiving the same thing from different perspectives um but i don't get time to go to my book club anymore or indeed very often read uh yes uh i can well imagine that what about magazines magazines so i um i read the spectator online if you want to yeah. count that as a magazine um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not a big magazine reader. Um, and if you were... I did get a magazine when I was like 12, every week, Saturday morning. Yeah. Best part of the week, being in bed reading my magazine. What was that magazine? Well, um, it was something, it had girl in the title. Um, and when I was younger, I used to got, I got Wizard and Chips, which yeah. probably now are different. <laughs> Uh, did you have a Saturday job? So I did have, I had a whole range of jobs. I had a Saturday job. Uh, I worked in a shop, in yeah. a shop in town. I grew up in Leeds for a short period of time. Um, I also, I worked, so I did quite a few jobs sort of as a teenager yeah. and just before and during university. Um, whatever I could find really just to earn some money. So what, did you, what did you learn from those jobs? Um, so well, ha, so I learned the value of work and uh you know, I was doing them to earn money. That's why I was doing them. So I, I, I did the job in the shop. I 
was a receptionist at a local beauty salon. I did cold calling, which was really quite hard. Yeah. Calling sales, cold calling. I worked in a factory. Good preparation for knocking on doors. Well, it was, yeah, it was. You know, there's people putting the phone down and you just go to the next one. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I think all these things teach you resilience, Um, you know, discipline, the importance of... I do read one of the other things that my grandma told me was about, you know, taking responsibility um, and standing on your own two feet. And I think, you know, working and working as a student and uh, is, is... you know, those are important things to do. What was your first creative job? Um, <laughs> I don't say, so I, I'm, I'm struggling here because I did a lot of drama at, at school, okay. but I don't think I ever did anything like that as a job. Um, I suppose the most, <laughs> so most of my jobs have been sort of functional jobs. Yeah. I mean, as a barrister, I suppose it's creative in the sense that every time you go to court, you're performing to an audience yeah. of one. Um, Creating an argument. So, it? you know, I suppose it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because when you say, what's your most creative job? I started to think about the traditional jobs that you think about in mm. the creative industries. But actually, so many jobs have a creative element to them. Um in the way that I think law has, or being a barrister certainly has a yeah. has a little creative side. Yeah, we've just been doing some work with the Royal Academy of Engineering, and they're very keen to push the fact that engineering is actually quite a creative job, it which is. you wouldn't necessarily kind of. Well, it's it. interesting you say that because in cabinet the other day I did a presentation um, about uh, about the industries I represent, and what's really interesting about the games industry, mm. for instance is that if I said gaming, you would think about, you know, video games, traditional video games. But actually, a lot of them create the R&D for quite a lot of scientific innovation. Mm. So what you might not know, for instance, is that the 3D technology that you use in a video game that we talked about earlier um, has got uh, uses in the NHS. So you can use that technology to scan the body. Yeah. Um, and it's being used for the Da Vinci robots, the you know the surgical oh, yeah, yeah. arms, um, which are carrying out operations in UCH, and they're carrying out, out operations at four times faster the rate than a human could do it um, without the technology, because yeah, yeah. of course you do have human involvement. Um, and I learned the other day that uh, there's a there's a company in Devon that produced the the fabric. It's a high speed fabric that was on one of, um, it, it was used by NASA to make a, a, a trip um, to space. So, you know, this is, the games industry is a billion pound industry, but it's not just about video gaming. It's about R&D for science. Yeah, no, it's, uh, the video games is extraordinary and it doesn't kind of intersect with Westminster much yet, but I think that will be it'll be changing because it's overtaken the film industry and music industry in terms of its economic contributions and, and so on. Um, it's part of our, so when you say it's not really in Westminster, but the, um, when in our creative vision that we announced yesterday, um, we had a £5 million games fund mm. building on a games fund that we'd, we'd um, had before. We know it works. It's, it's uh, supporting individuals um, to get to that next stage from prototype to product. So, I think here, uh, 
you know, my department and actually in broader government, we do really recognise the value of the games industry. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, I, I guess more my sort of thinking with it is that when I say it sort of doesn't interact, what I kind of mean is that politicians haven't necessarily been consumers of video games because it's not of that kind of generation. So I'm going to ask you what your favourite video game is now. So um, actually, what's really interesting is that um, I went to a, a video games company the other day and they told me that the uh, average age of a gamer is around 32, mm. which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, I'm not a massive consumer of video games. I did have, uh, when I was like 10, you know, one of those computer games where you sort of ping pong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the early stages. Um, but I know, I mean, certainly my son is, uh, is uh, known to have played a video game or two. Hey, or, or three or four or five or six or more than you should have done. But it's amazing how social they are now as well. Yeah, like, totally. You know, totally. It's, it's, yeah, it, they're all sort of talking on it and all, all the time and so on. Um, so we've just got a few quick fires um, and so on to ask yeah. you to check on, on timing and so on. Um, favourite film? Favourite film. Uh, favourite film. So many films to choose from. I think my favorite film is, I'm going to say E.T. because it was the mm. first film that I saw and it was such an amazing experience. Yeah, that is a, that is a great film. It's going back a little bit, I think. Who's your favorite Bond? My favorite Bond, Sean Connery. Is it time for a female James Bond? Always time for females to lead in a film and uh, more broadly. Twitter or Instagram? Just joined Instagram and I've been on Twitter a number of years. So I'd probably say Twitter, but I think that Instagram's a much uh, more polite forum. What, so there's a politician, what, um, what, what inspires you to join Instagram then? I think it's really important as politicians to show people what you're doing and to, you know, interact and, 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 uh, with as many people as possible. So, you know, personally, you mentioned I'm not. I'm quite a private person mm. if I, I don't have any private social media accounts. Um, but I think I have a, 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 it's important as a politician to, to, uh, showcase that. So that's why I have joined. So do follow me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite fashion designer or who is your favorite? Fashion so I love fashion and I was really excited in my first 10 days that one of the things that I did, so I was appointed and. Uh, the first thing I did was go to the BAFTAs and then the Brits, uh, and, and, uh, and then I went to London Fashion Week. Um, and, uh, I think it's fabulous to celebrate great British designers like Stella McCartney. Um, but, uh, all of them, I support them all. Um, most exciting company that you've come across lately or, or name a couple. You haven't company. Mentioned. Yeah. Business. What do you mean? Business. business that you've kind of come across. Mentioned the one in Devon, Horsham. You want a third? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a bit big. So and I wish that the one that popped into mind it was a small one, but this week I was at Pinewood. Mm. And uh, I, I mentioned them because I think that they are showcasing world-class talent, uh, fantastic export. You know, I think we've also got some fantastic music companies um, who are leading and showing us uh, to be world-class on the world stage. Squid Game or Succession? 
Um, so I have watched both, but I probably watched more Succession episodes than I did Squid Games. I'm going to go for Succession. Were you surprised by the ending? I did. So I, I fell out. I watched oh. the first few, series and then I didn't watch it. I just, I'm sorry, I'm not. Oh, right, I, I, I lived go. with it, but don't ruin the endings. I haven't watched the last, <laughs> the last bits. I really would go down as a bad interview with that. Uh, what's your favourite podcast, apart from Jimmy's Jobs? I t- I do quite like, well, Jimmy's Jobs, I mean, obviously. I mean, that goes without saying. I do quite like the um, Alistair Campbell, Rory Stewart one. Yeah. Why do you Is that controversial? Th- yeah, well, no, no. I mean, it's it, it's not an underground choice, but why, and to that end, why do you think it's been so successful? I think it's the dynamic between mm. the two of them. Um, I worked with Rory, mm. um, so I know him quite well. So when I was in the Ministry of Justice, yes, um, he was a minister as well. And I always, he's a very, very impressive person. Um, and so I don't know Alistair Campbell at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think they have interesting uh, people on there. So I was really interested in, I thought their interview with George Osborne was really interesting. You know, their interview with William Hague. I just, they've got, they've got, I think they've both got interesting things to say. Um, you meet a lot of fascinating people in the role. If you were to sort of pass the mic to somebody, who should we get on the show and interview about the future of jobs and the future of work? Young people. Any people not, not famous people. Yeah. So one of the first things that I did uh, in the role, I mentioned youth and like the value I place in youth and the importance of supporting young people. One of the first things I did was go to the National Citizen Service and mm. have a round table uh, with young people to hear about, well, the work of the National Citizen Service, but also what, what more we could do and how we could support them. And I just, there was some really, afterwards when I left, I was told that, um, you know, half of them were on free school meals, a lot of them were carers. Mm. And they were really, really dynamic and optimistic. They were the sorts of people that I was talking about that, you know, they, someone had invested in them and shown that they had potential and they had flown with that. And I think we should uh, embrace and nurture those people. So I think you should get those people. Well, we'll get some Going we'll into we'll some people from the National Citizen Service. Um, final question, dream job. If you could be anything. Yes. Well, I, I do have a dream job. Yeah, I'm in mean, a pretty, a pretty dream job. job. Um, I think so this probably isn't a dream job, but I have. So I think you asked me what, you know, why I became an MP. And I think, and I, the reason I became an MP is to change people's lives for the better and uh, particularly young people. And I think the other way you can do that in a big way and more direct way is by being a teacher. So my mum was a teacher and my grandpa was a headmaster. And I think, I don't think I would be a very good teacher, but I do think it's, it's an amazing job where you can directly change the course of someone's life. So I was, um, so I mentioned my grandpa was Mm. a headmaster. And so, you know, when you're in it, well, you, when you're an MP, like people get in touch with you because your email's online. Yeah. And uh, a few years after I'd been an MP, I got this email out of the blue from somebody saying, I hope you don't mind me emailing you. Um, but I just wanted to let you know that your grandpa um, taught me at school 
and he was a scientist and he recognized in me my artistic talent and he was the first person who inspired me to do what I'm doing and then he mentioned these really famous people and he said you know your grandpa stands with um these people as being my inspirations and I just thought isn't that amazing and he was then he, he he was a quite a famous costume designer you know you, you're in a position where you touch people and someone who had bothered to email me decades afterwards shows the impact that a teacher, in this case a headmaster, had had on someone's life. And I just think that's quite phenomenal. If you were starting your career again now, do you think you'd do anything differently? You'd look at other sectors? Uh, I think I would probably do what I've done. I'm really pleased mm. with the choices that I've made. I think being a barrister was, uh, I really loved being a barrister. It's, it's, uh, you're doing a job where you're representing people and you're getting their voices heard. I think everyone should get their voices heard. And, um, and it was a great job. It was a great job for work life balance as well, because you're self employed. Yeah. And I'm, there isn't, being an MP definitely isn't perfect and there's some definitely disadvantages and it's definitely not great for work like life balance uh it's probably the worst one of the worst jobs for work life balance but i'm really proud and honored to be able to make a difference locally and the stuff that i've had an opportunity to influence nationally as well so at the moment i'm pretty pretty content with the choices i've made Lizzie, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Nice to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode, when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship and the future of work or some of our more light-hearted takes on tiktok and of course our best moments are on youtube to find all our socials and best content links click on the links in the show notes below